Our reading this morning is from Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them. And some teachers of the religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him into in violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion. And he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet. And he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, Why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, This kind can be cast out only by prayer. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Adam. Quite a passage, isn't it? Morning, everyone. We've been talking about the weather all week long. Hey, how, how about living in Newfoundland? Do we have any Newfoundlanders here? Oh, my goodness, yeah. Very, very uh, dreadful out there with all the snow. We have a person here this morning by the name of Ron Hanneman. He flew out in this cold weather from Ottawa, from the Arnprior uh, Valley, Uh, the Ottawa Valley, and uh, he came out to say thank you to the guys who meet on Tuesday morning and Saturday morning, the men's breakfast, because he was a very sick man uh, three years ago. He had surgery, and then he got infection, and he was near unto death, and uh, these guys were faithful to pray for him. Ron, would you stand up? Let's just welcome him and give him a big hand. He's here. He's healthy. God has uh, touched his uh, body uh, and his life, and we are so, so grateful for you, Ron, and that God has more in store for you. May I do a little prayer exercise with you this morning? Got to all work together on this. Would you fold your hands like this? And uh, uh, did you ever wonder kind of what to pray for uh, as you're sitting at a bus stop or... uh, 
you're sitting in your car, you're waiting for your spouse, or what do I pray for, Lord? Well, notice the thumb is closest to your chest. So uh, the, the, the thumb means pray for those who are closest to you. Pray for your, your wife or your husband or your child or your father or your mother. Pray for the people who are closest to you. The next finger is the index finger. It's the pointing finger. And it kind of guides when we, when we point to someone. So uh, pray for those who guide us in life. Pray for teachers. Pray for pastors. Uh, pray for uh, school teachers. Pray for those who guide others. The third uh, finger is the tallest, and uh, it represents those who are in authority over us. So pray for government leaders. Pray for our national leaders. Uh, they really need it these days. Pray for our provincial leaders. And pray for leaders around the world because they stand in need of much prayer. The third one, uh, are the, the index finger, the ring finger, is perhaps the weakest finger. And so pray for the marginalized of life. Pray for those who are suffering. Pray for those who are going through great persecution, and there are many around the world. And then the little, the little pinky here, that's us. Pray for, for myself. Pray for me in my great need, that I would humble myself and recognize the greatness of God, and that I would be his person, and that he would fill me and he would touch me so when you are wondering how to pray, pray for uh, those that are closest to you. Pray, pray for those who are uh, teachers. Pray for those who are in authority, the tall finger. Pray for those who are suffering uh, and persecuted. And pray for ourselves that we would be the people of God that he has called us to be. Well, the sadness of what happened uh, to Flight uh, 752 in Iran just a few minutes after takeoff. The plane shot out of the sky by Iranian missiles with nearly 200 people on board. That sadness still prevails across our country and will. Everyone, relatives, uh, moms and dads, siblings, we feel so helpless to do anything. This is a tragedy and emotions turn from deep sadness to deep anger. And we're sensing that now. There's a deep anger and the desire to strike back. And we say, what's wrong with our world? What's wrong with our crazy world? Well, there's a sober passage in front of us this morning that Pastor Adam read. Uh, it's also filled with disappointment and with desperation. And with what's wrong with us that we couldn't help this little boy with the evil spirit that plagued him? Are we not up to doing ministry anymore? What's, what's wrong with us? And the feeling that we let our master down. And maybe the feeling that we disappointed ourselves, we let ourselves down. We couldn't even help a little boy. Pastor Norb uh, preached the first part of this message last Sunday. And I'll try to connect with the second part of the passage this morning. In the Vatican Gallery, there is a famous painting by Raphael of the Transfiguration. And if you notice, there are three levels to the picture. The top level is the scene of Jesus with Moses on the left and Elijah on the right. 
The middle level depicts Peter and James and John kind of shielding their eyes from the brilliance of Jesus, and it appears that they're just waking up. And then on the bottom level is a poor demon-possessed boy suffering, and at his side is a desperate father who doesn't know what to do anymore. And surrounding them are the teachers and disciples, and they are squabbling, and some of the disciples are pointing upward to Jesus, the guy in the right corner there, as if to say, he's the only answer to the boy's problem. Now, this incredible artist captures the contrast between the glory of the transfiguration and the real world that awaits below. As Pastor Norb already said, we're at the bottom of the mountain this morning, not at the top. What a discussion coming down the 11,000-foot Mount Hermon. Uh, what a discussion, what a theological discussion they must have had all the way down. Uh, Lord, uh, what was this all about? What were you trying to teach us? Uh, why were you so white, so incredibly white? What were you, why was Moses there? Why was Elijah there? What was the purpose of the transfiguration? And as we know, one of the purposes was for, for Christ himself, and one of the purposes was for the disciples. But what a beautiful affirmation that the father gave to his son. I love you, my son. You are my beloved son. I will be with you as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And the other purpose was to remind the disciples that Jesus was the Christ. He was the chosen one. That they were right to place their full faith in him that he was their leader and he was their Messiah and they could follow him for the rest of their days. Oh, so many questions they had, but underneath uh, they were very exhilarated, exhilarated. But before they knew it, the elevator reached the ground floor. And what a different scene playing out at ground level. Let's just walk up close and just let's listen in. First hear the noise, the noise. The first thing you hear is the tension in the air. There's lots of noise. There's lots of arguing. This isn't the peace and celebration that they had at the top of the mountain. This is the bottom of the mountain, and we have some arguing going on. And the religious leaders are, are there, the theologians who seem, who seem so angry. Why are they always so angry? And they, they, were, they were always put out somehow because... Jesus was subtly removing their authority. He had a communion with the Father that was so beautiful and so noticeable that people were attracted to Jesus rather than to the teachers of the law. So with Jesus gone, they were probably even more aggressive with the remaining nine. And it seems like the disciples must have been taking a bit of a pounding here. They were hunkered down. They were on the defensive. There's a lot of shouting and, and finger-pointing and, uh, like, welcome to the real world. Sometimes the real world is just too much. I was just reading this week about Tony Evans. Some of you may follow him. There, there he is. Tony. Tony is a writer. He's a pastor. You might have come across some of his books. Good writer. I followed his ministry a little bit from, from a distance. His wife died just before New Year's, December 30th of, of just last year. His daughter, Priscilla Shearer, some of you know that name, wonderful ministry to women, 
She had a reoccurring lump in her left lung. And uh, she went in for surgery this week. I understand that she, she's home from surgery. Uh, Tony's niece died in 2018. She was only 38. Tony lost his brother just six months before that. He lost his sister in January of 2019, so just a year ago. And, and, and in this past year, he lost his father as well. Wow, I read that, and it just reminded me we live in this kind of world where we see how challenging life is. People are broken. The planet is broken. And we come down from the mountaintop experience, and here we land in this broken world. And that's where all of us live. Return from vacation, and guess what's waiting for you? A stack of bills. And a backlog of emails. And after the honeymoon, well, there's marriage and a lifetime of adjustments. And after the birth of a child, there's responsibility. And after the purchase of a beautiful home, there's maintenance and monthly mortgage payments. Reality is where we live. And what does reality do? It forces us to our knees before God. We'll come together as a church one week from this evening for the prayer summit. And, and we will pray for one another in our places of reality. Because that's where we live. And, that's, and, and, and our reality includes troubled relationships and disagreements and feeling like the disciples. You have to defend yourself at times. Things are not working out, and you wonder, where is Jesus? And over and over again, we have to come back to the fundamental lessons of discipleship, which is prayer. I resonated with one writer who said, Know this, that prayer will not survive in your church until you have a regular corporate prayer meeting. And I took note of that. Prayer just doesn't bubble up in a church in some magical way. You have to be very methodical and very intentional about it if you're trying to get your church to become a house of prayer. Because the church needs to be a house of prayer if we're going to thrive in the real world, the places where we live. Because we can't make it by ourselves. There's always a battle in becoming a praying church because the forces of darkness are aligned against this strategic move. You try to get your church to move together in one large platoon of soldiers marching in the midst of being a house of prayer, and you're going to face a battle. You're going to face a huge battle because the enemy knows that if we all walk together in, in, arm in arm in prayer, that we would dismantle many of his strongholds. But that's precisely God's call upon the church to put on the whole armor of God and to be strong in his mighty power, Ephesians chapter 6. That's why we have prayer summits, because we fight our battles together. The Christianity is not a solo thing, it's a together thing. In community, we pray for one another and we watch what God does. And that's why we say prayer summits. They're so important to the health of the body. And secondly, desperation. Amidst all of the noise, the disciples and the teachers of the law 
didn't even realize that Jesus had arrived. And uh, he was walking toward them. And the disciples were being heckled by the teachers of the law because they failed to cast out a demon from the little boy. <clears throat> and the disciples were internally feeling this desperation. What's wrong? What's wrong here? What's wrong with me? The, the demon didn't come out. <clears throat> Not like before. What's wrong with us? And this gives the teachers of the law just enough time to be able to turn on them and to say, you're a bunch of phonies, you don't have anything going for you, you should just pack up your bags and go home. I was, uh, I was just probably about 10 years old, had received Christ as my Savior uh, about a year before, living in uh, Huxley, Alberta. My father, my family shopped uh, on Saturday evening in Troshu. For groceries. And I think back, that's what all the farmers did. It's interesting that on a Saturday night, all the farmers went to town. The, the, the stores were open on Saturday night and we shopped, got all our groceries and went back out to the farm again. But anyway, the streets were filled with people and a group of guys from Prairie, Prairie Bible Institute, uh, today called Prairie College, uh, were sharing their faith on the street corner. I'm just a little guy. I'm watching this. I'm watching this crowd uh, come together. And uh, these brave young souls from Prairie did their very best to tell people of their need of a Savior. But they took an emotional bruising. The young guys from the town ganged up on them, gathered around them, blew cigarette smoke in their mouth, gave them a hard time, scoffed at them. I don't think any, it turned violent, but it was just a mess. And I'm sure those guys from Prairie went home that night feeling like, Lord, oh, what went wrong here? We sure need you. This was not easy. Jesus moves into their midst and his question is, what's all this arguing about? No response from the teachers of the law or the disciples, but the father of the boy steps forward and he fills Jesus in on the condition of his son. The word says that one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. So not only desperation being felt among the disciples, but especially the dad. This is his son. And, and he was looking for Jesus to heal him. And he brought him to Jesus, but Jesus wasn't there. So he asked the disciples to heal him, but they couldn't. So everybody's upset, confused, and that leads to arguing. You know, if you've ever watched Jeopardy, some of you have been watching Jeopardy this week, I know. You see the contestants, they have this little clicker. And if they click it too soon, then the clicker kind of freezes. Then it won't do anything for a few seconds. So the next contestant can jump in and click his or her clicker and they get ahead of you. So the timing has got to be impeccable. And, uh, and, and it might be tempting when you go like this and it doesn't work to say, well, what's wrong? Ken Jennings seemed to have a pretty good success with that clicker this week and he, he went, uh, uh, was in a contest with two other of the, the best guys that had ever served uh, uh, 
on Jeopardy. And uh, he, he won a million dollars this week. And the, the disciples, in my imagery here, just kind of hit the clicker, but it didn't work. Nothing happened. Oh, my goodness, what's wrong? Click it again. It even seems like Jesus himself had some emotion in all of this. And he said, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And I think you have to hear the heart of Jesus here and to understand his emotion. Remember, he's on mission. He knows what's ahead. And he's running out of time to make sure his disciples are prepared for ministry after he leaves. It's almost like the urgency of the hour pierces his heart and he just says it. And maybe he's saying it to all of humanity. Maybe he's saying it to us this morning. Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? Oh, my people, when will you get this? When will you take this seriously? When will you stop just going on your way? Don't you know what is ahead? Don't you know that it's time to get ready? Can't you see the house is burning and you're not responding? It's, it's not like the disciples didn't have any faith, it's, but their faith had lost some of its potency. We know about things that lose their potency. How about a little capsule or, or a bottle of pills that you bought 10 years ago and it's still in your, your medicine cabinet. Don't take it. It's, it's long past its date. It has lost its power. Remember how Jesus gave his disciples authority to go out and heal and cast out demons and he was pretty clear about that and they went out. And you notice that when they came back, they, they reported such good success. But what happened to that power? My hunch is that they lost some of their compassion. They lost some of their focus. Uh, it became mechanical for them. Ministry became mechanical. Maybe things shifted a little bit, and they were more interested in proving their own authority and who they were than the power that they had from Jesus himself. Like, we're just as important as you teachers of the law. You think you're, you're credible? Well, we're credible too. Instead of saying, we're nothing without Jesus. I'm a vessel. I get my power from God and only him. And this was a lesson for the disciples. They had been careless, as we all are, in our walk with Christ. And they had neglected prayer and intimacy and connection and perhaps fasting. Yes, the Lord had given them authority over the demons, authority to heal, but all of that is to be cultivated through spiritual discipline and devotion. It's not a formula. None of what we do for Christ is in, in, is in isolation from a life of intimacy and obedience and fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit. We can't just wing it. No matter how long you've done it, whether you're a missionary or a pastor or a school teacher or a doctor or a business person or a mom or a dad or a child, it doesn't matter. We function as followers of Christ only when we're connected to him. We can't wing that. 
Just do ministry without connection. It doesn't work. John 15, if you abide in me, you will produce much fruit. But without abiding, it, it becomes empty and it becomes going through religious motions. Oh, you can go on for a little while and you can go on without people noticing that there's something wrong here until you hit a big one. When you hit a big one, the problem takes more than motions. It's, it's removed by intimacy and prayer and fasting. That's why the anguish of our Savior, oh, my friends, you forgot the relationship. You, you, you tried to, to do the removal of the demon, but you forgot the basics. You forgot your own heart connection to me, my help, my personal working, my power through you. Fasting um, can be very meaningful and, and helpful, especially when you need some breakthroughs. A fast is a, is a, is a habit of, of uh, just depriving ourselves. And then, uh, I'm just going back here. I, sometimes when you hit an iPad, you jump and you can't remember where, where you were at. Uh, now, this response of Jesus, uh, Jesus is calling for this man to trust him, this father. And, and even though he's been discouraged and disappointed, and the father comes and he's desperate. And what a great prayer. He says, uh, help me overcome my unbelief. I believe that's a prayer that is dear to the heart of God. And you can pray that one. Help my unbelief. Help me clear out the stuff that keeps me from trusting you. Now, the response by Jesus gets sideswiped by people today who say, well, Jesus said anything is possible, right, if a person believes anything. He said anything. And they make it into a statement that says that all their wishes will come true if they can just muster a little more faith. There are some who even teach that faith can control God. That if you believe enough, God has to do it. We just have to trust God for it. He, and he's going to work. Uh, in December, many of you uh, heard about the little two-year-old girl that died in California. She just suddenly stopped breathing. Her mom was on staff at a church. Uh, they couldn't resuscitate her. And the church called for global prayer, and people were praying around the world, asking God that this little girl would re be raised back to life. And uh, they wouldn't remove the, uh, the breathing machine, the ventilator, and I'm not sure how many days it went on, and, and uh, finally, uh, they had to shut off the respirator. And uh, there was no resurrection from the dead. Now, I'm not being critical of this situation at all, because I, I understand that when you love a child so much, you will do what you have to do. And this father loved his son so much that he really was desperate to get God's, to get the help of Jesus. And I think in this California story that God can use this story to remind us that faith must never go farther than God's clear promises. Can Christ heal? Well, of course he can. When Christ makes it abundantly clear to us that his will is to heal, 
in this situation, then we move on that promise. And other times we say, God, I don't know. I don't know what your will is. You know best. I'm not sure what your desire is here, but I know you're good. And I know you're sovereign. Do you believe I can do anything, Jesus asks. We respond, of course you can do anything. But the Lord's anything might not align with our agenda. So this trust in God's nature and character must remain strong in the face of uncertainty. We always know who God is. I came across four great questions that may help us when we come to these life-changing moments in, in these moments in life that are so hard and we have to wrestle through for ourselves what is God saying? And here are, here are four bedrock questions that are important for us to look at. Number one, do you believe God can do anything? And most of us would say, well, of course he could. Number two, are you willing to leave the anything up to him? Whatever he wants. Number three, will you stop worrying and quit interrupting and cease striving and simply pray? And number four, will you accept the answer he chooses to give? Now, if you can respond in the affirmative for each of those questions, then God has placed you in a wonderful position. When you are faced with these things that are completely beyond your control, you can truly hand it over to him and be at peace in your heart for how God's going to handle that situation. Finally, evaluation time. Listen to these words from the message. Seeing that the crowd was forming fast, Jesus gave the vile spirit its marching orders. Dumb and deaf spirit, I command you, out of him and stay out. Screaming and with much thrashing about, it left. The boy was pale as a corpse, so people started saying, he's dead. But Jesus, taking his hand, raised him, and the boy stood up. After arriving back home, his disciples cornered Jesus and asked, why couldn't we throw the demon out? He answered, there is no way to get rid of this kind of demon except by prayer. Now, isn't that an interesting comment by Jesus? This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, in some translations, the verse is rendered, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. Sometimes you face in life some huge decisions, some huge struggles that are going to require more prayer, even including fasting. You're going to bump up against those things and you say, wow, what do I do with this? And you see that illustrated in Scripture in King Jehoshaphat. And uh, when he was under siege, when it was say, said to him that there were three armies that were encamped not far away from Judah, from Jerusalem, and they were, they were going to take him out, what King Jehoshaphat said is, then we will pray. And he took this prayer request, called all the people together, and they prayed and they fasted. And then a prophet came and he said, I have a word for you. This, this, this battle is not going to be won by you, but it's going to be won by the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. And truly it had for when they went out to do battle and the musicians led them, they found their enemy all, they were all killed. They had killed one another in the midst of the night. The Lord had confused them. 
and the armies were overtaken. We often fast when we are facing these major decisions in life. There was some sense in which this was a particularly powerful demon. We should say that as well. Apparently, this spirit was in a different league than the others they had faced. And it explains why this spirit had been more resistant than others they have faced. Even in their failure, it had somehow not occurred to the disciples that they really needed to pray. I assume that in the past, they had simply said something like, in the name of Jesus, come out. That would still work, but not in a formula. They needed to pray first. They needed to align their hearts with God and prepare their hearts. We hit some biggies in life. Uh, the point of our praying is to bring Jesus near so that we again understand who he is and that he's powerful. The word says draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And our Father is powerful. And when we pray and get our hearts aligned with our Father, we gain a new sense of faith and strength. Remember in those early days of the church in Acts chapter 4, when the church came under fierce attack, it said the believers prayed. They came together and they quoted scripture and they recounted God's sovereign power at work even in the death of Jesus. And then they prayed, now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And then it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Why do we need to pray? We pray for our own refreshed authority in Christ. We have to keep refreshing ourselves before the Lord, knowing his heart, walking with him in intimacy, and listening in prayer. It's never a formula. Just do this, this, and this, and you got it. It's a relationship. This was a lesson for the disciples. They had been careless, as we all are, in our walk with Christ. They had neglected prayer and fasting. Yet the Lord had given them authority over the demons, authority to heal. But all of this is to be cultivated through spiritual discipline and devotion. None of what we do is in isolation from a life of intimacy and obedience and fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit. We can't just wing it. We can't just wing it. It means abiding. So, I'm going to invite you to stand. And I'm going to put some words. We're going to put some words on the screen. It's all about abiding in Jesus Christ. And John 15, verses 5 and 6. I'm going to read it for you. If it's on the screen there, uh, Steve. Maybe it's not. Okay, thank you. I will read it for you. It says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Jesus says, Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing.
Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for the reminder this morning that it's all about being connected to Jesus Christ and having a relationship with him. Lord, uh, forgive us where we try to crank out ministry in our own strength. Forgive us, Lord, where we have our time with you and find you to be the person that just fills us and thrills us and gives us joy and gives us that grace and strength for every situation of life. Thank you for this beautiful story that you tucked away, Lord, in your word to remind us not to be mechanical, but to be fruitful through our connection with Jesus. So we pray your blessing upon your people today as we hear this word. This is the word of the Lord to us. In Jesus' name, amen.